Hi there, rugby fans. This is Jeremy back once again with episode six of My Views from the Lineout. And in this podcast this week, we're going to be talking about the uh, Champions Cup final between Saracens and Claremont Auvergne. We're also going to be talking about the residency rule change from the World Rugby and the 2019 uh, pool draw that just happened in the last week, actually. So loads of rugby news that went on. If you're enjoying the pod, then um, please subscribe in iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever else you can find it. Um, and also you can follow me on Twitter, so at Jeremy Springall, and that is J-E-R-E-M-Y-S-P-R-I-N-G-A-L-L. And also on Facebook, so facebook.com slash views from the lineout. And you can also check out my sort of personal website blog where I have a few more general musings as well as all the rugby stuff. And that is jeremyspringall.wordpress.com. I'd love to hear from you. Love to hear you guys subscribe, rate the uh, podcast in your various listening formats. And um, yeah, any conversation starters, anything like you can hit it up on the comments section in those platforms or in the social media. And I'd love to hear from you guys. But namely, in this episode, we're going to talk about, really to begin with, the European Champions Cup final between Saracens and Clermont Auvergne. So I managed to watch this game. <laughs> a bit of a thriller, to be honest with you. Um, up in Edinburgh, a lot of history between um, these kind of two sides where they've knocked each other out in various stages of the competition before. A couple of players, actually, namely Dave Strettel, who's pl- used to play for Saracens and now plays for Clermont. So there was a bit of... Uh, a subplot and intrigue in there and also things like Chris Ashton's probably final European game for Saracens before he moved to Toulon in the summer. Um, he was joint European top try scorer leading into this game um, and it was potential for Saracens to win the Champions Cup uh, for a second year in a row. Clermont have been to numerous finals now without actually coming away with anything. Um, so it's kind of, I don't know, there's a little bit of a a ghost for them on this and that they they seem to have this stumbling block when it comes to finals and for someone like Benjamin Kaiser who was starting a hooker I think it's for four or five different clubs now that he has kind of been involved in a European final um, and not won so the final result on this was 28-17 to Saracens they managed to retain um, the European Cup successfully and they're only the fourth side to do so and really the most recent ones of this have been Toulon who did it three years in a row so they're definitely going to be going for that next season to equal that and then try and do one better in four in a row, which is entirely unprecedented. To win something like this, you just have to be on your game week in, week out. And they just seem to also, I don't know how they managed to do it because they spurned so many chances in the opposition 22. There's so many visits and so few points throughout this game and it really in the early phases uh, of the match as well. And Claremont, driven by really Camille Lopez, sort of kept them in it somehow. I'm not entirely sure how. And they kind of got back with two within a point. And then Saracens just turned the screw and really sort of crushed them out of it. Big players really came to the fore. So players like George Cruz um, really stepped up to the mark. He put in a really big shift and sort of underlined the reason why he's been going to the Lions with a lot of good work in the tight and popping up for a try. As I said, Chris Ashton leading into this game was equal with Vincent Clerc uh, on 36 tries in European competitions. And now, he, having scored the opener in this game, it moved him onto 37 and out there on his own um, as a fantastic finisher in what in kind of European rugby, but potentially more broadly in world rugby to have such a record as that. Um, Remy Lamara has kind of come in for Wesley Fofana. 
and has played amazingly for Claremont throughout the season. And it's kind of, I guess, made Aurelian Rougerie sort of postpone his retirement, I guess, to help uh, fill that centre partnership. And uh, Lamara came through and scored a really close-range try as well. Morgan Parra was, as usual, a little general as scrum half for Clermont, and uh, was fantastic. And it was kind of... Um, Saracens have really added this attacking game over the last couple of years to their to their play. It used to be very accurate kicking, very big rush defence, the wolf pack, which was uh, coined by Paul Gustard. And that's still definitely a part of their game, but they've really started to develop this more attacking play with the Vunapola brothers and Farrell really pulling the strings. Um, and they just seem to get so much more out of themselves. And it's great to watch at times. They really do... And they haven't been challenged in this way in this game for a number of years, I don't believe. And they really almost, the wheels almost came off. But those big players, like the like I just mentioned, the Vunapola brothers, Farrell, uh, Cruz, Itoje, Schalkbritz when he came off the bench, Schalkberger when he came off the bench, really stepped up and got them over the line in the end of the game, where at the end, they just really closed uh, the fist and the grip upon Claremont and just wouldn't let him back into it. And Claremont were really trying to get as much positioning as they could, like field position, but just couldn't get out of their own half. And then it, a bit of uh, stardust from Alex Good in setting up Chris Ashton's try with a nice grubber in their first half. And then um, scored a try of his own to win the game for Saracens at the end. So absolutely fantastic stuff. Billy Vinopolov was just magnificent in this. Plenty of carries off the base. And the scrum was something where Claremont really seemed to have the upper hand in this game. And so it was from a messy position at number eight, picking out the second row's legs. And he just seemed to always make yardage with it. And he was great under the high ball when those box kicks were coming in and things. His brother, Mako, was just exceptional. Like a huge number of tackles, just unbelievable. And it, this is really what sets Saracens apart, is their ability to repeat these high-level skills with precision under fatigue and pressure, which other teams can't. And when an opportunity comes, they just go for it and they end up scoring. And yeah, it's um, tough on all the Claremont fans who are like some of the most passionate in the world. Just they're absolutely bonkers when you see them in the uh, in the yellow and blue and they just go mental. And it's, it's going to be a hard pill to swallow. But they've got the top 14 um, coming up soon. Final, so they should be they should be doing all right. But once again, congratulations for Saracens in joining Leicester in two thousand one two, Leinster in two thousand eleven twelve, and Toulon in thirteen fourteen fifteen as becoming the only like elite club of back to back European Cup winners. And the age profile of that squad is unbelievable. And if they can keep them together. And next season, they're adding some amazing players. People like Liam Williams is coming from Scarlet's, who you've, if you've listened to the pod before, you've heard me rave about him. And so suffice to say, I think he's a fantastic, fantastic player. And replacing Chris Ashton, I think he's actually a, a more, he's going to offer more to Saracens than Chris Ashton could. Um, and then in the second row, Jim Hamilton's retiring. And so they're bringing in um, Will Skelton from Australia, absolute Goliath of a person. He's he's enormous. He had a short stint with Saracens earlier in the year when they had a number of second rows out injured and during the Six Nations. And he was fantastic. He's going to be with them all season next year. So he's going to push on players like Itoje and Cruz to even higher levels and Nikki Sakewa as well to even try and get in that starting lineup because those second rows are going to be like some of the best in the game, not just in like the UK and in Europe. 
So it's going to be really interesting to see how that goes. But it was an exciting game. Really congratulations to them. I can imagine some of the celebrations were a bit crazy. If any of the um, photos and stuff from uh, their trip to Barcelona recently was anything to go by. So that should be pretty cool anyway. And hopefully, you know, next season they'll do all right. Um, but in terms of other ones, um, Gloucester were taken on Stade Francais in the Challenge Cup final. And unfortunately, they lost, which means they don't go into the playoffs for the Champions Cup next year, which is all a bit crazy. I sort of think that if you win the Challenge Cup, which is the second tier European competition below the first tier Champions Cup, then you should automatically qualify for the Premier competition the following season. But unfortunately, that's not how it goes at the minute. I think it's changing next year. So this affords Northampton, who finished um, Northampton Saints, who finished seventh at the end of the regular Aviva Premiership season, the chance to go into the playoffs to uh, try and claim a Champions Cup spot for next year. So their their season isn't quite over yet. So um, we'll see how they go. It should lead into another couple of interesting games as well. But really, okay, so on to, on to topic number two, which is the residency rule change um, from World Rugby. And really, this is something where Augustin Pichot has, he's an Argentinian ex-player, ex-international player, used to, unbelievable cult hero down in Bristol with Felipe Contopomi. When those two were together, it was just something to behold. Um, but he has stepped into this kind of more logistical kind of role within the broader rugby community really well and he's the vice chairman at world rugby and he's been a staunch supporter of increasing the residency rule from three years to five years to be able to play for a country that isn't of your birth um and this has actually led to a couple of things with particular um some nations looking to do this voluntarily before this came in and such as the french federation of rugby Uh, the FFR, have sort of pledged to not to award new caps to non-passport holders. So that's quite interesting considering uh, a game they recently played against Australia in the Autumn Internationals. All four wings from, so two wings from each country were all from Fiji. So there's a lot of like non-French holding passport players that were initially selected through. And every country is guilty of this. Most of the Southern Hemisphere ones are guilty of collecting islanders and moving them over. Um, and now the European rugby guys have caught on and this really started in at least in my mind in the um, late 1990s early 2000s with players like the Leslie brothers uh, with Shane Howarth of Wales and it's kind of led into things like um, CJ Stander being a project player for Ireland you've had a number of things like that I don't have an issue with players that come over as youngsters and play their way through the grade system rugby such as the Vunapolas, the Tuolagis, the Falatals. I have no issue with that at all because you are fully invested in that country. But I kind of, I I don't know, I feel that it's driven by financial motivations to go and move to a country, serve your three years, then go and play for that country when the country of your birth is probably calling out for players, particularly for these islanders anyway. So it looks like a really good move on the surface to move it to a five-year residency period um which i think a lot of people would really support behind that um and it means that it kind of enables some of these smaller nations to be able to keep a hold of their best talent and really push the standard of the game in their country when they see their international like side playing of the sides there is a downside to this and particularly one of these things can be uh player welfare and the worry is that a lot of scouts and countries and things like that will go to these nations which produce fantastic players 
at a younger and younger age, which really means that young players who are effectively still children, like 16 years old, 17 years old, who you know may look like a 25 30 year old but socially and education wise they're still very young and their maturity is very young they're going to move them over to a country to get those five years done really early so that they can still play for a potential national side at a very young age and have a long international career with them which means that there needs to be appropriate support in place in case something like this happens to those players because it's not their fault they quite often come from um and socioeconomic situations, which means that they want money to send back to their families to make sure they're taken care of. So they want to earn more to be able to support their families. But really, it kind of, in my mind, comes down to world rugby, creating fairer competition between teams internationally and also splitting the profits a bit more that they receive from these sort of games and from broadcasters and their giant international competitions such as the World Cup to help develop the game and the facilities and the wages and the infrastructure in these countries which are supplying a huge number of these players to other, other countries. Um, so really, I mean, there was a lot of hoo-ha in the last World Cup around there not being enough money going to the Samoa squad and they were potentially going to strike before the last World Cup due to inadequate training facilities and support and medical support and things like that. That's just a travesty, really, because they provide a, they've provided such a rich history to the game, and a number of players for so many other countries who are of Samoan descent or island des- descent in general that really they need to be supported by world rugby more than they currently are being. And really, I can only see this potential farming of younger players taking place for islanders who have such a natural affinity with the game and seem to have a physique that is perfectly suited to the game. So it's going to be, um, yeah, it's going to be really tough because there's, I can imagine over the next couple of years with the introduction of this rule in 2020, I think it is, that we're going to start seeing some ramifications of players who are going to want to basically be like, okay, let's get this player in right now so they can make an impact for us right now, as opposed to, oh, they move when they're a little bit older, then they have to wait five years, then they have to do this. So it needs to be managed very, very carefully. And I'm hoping that Augustin Pichot and the others at World Rugby are really looking at this seriously because the kind of last thing we want is for these guys to be affected. I don't know. It's a it's a tough one. We don't want them to be exploited, basically. We want them to be supported in every way possible so they can make the decision that's right for them. But quite often that decision isn't playing for their own country because there isn't the support and infrastructure and things like that in place or financial incentive to do it. So there needs to be stuff from World Rugby to even the balance between the smaller nations and the larger nations. And some of that can be increasing the number of games between Tier 2 and Tier 1 competitions. So that will be as in nations. So like the big probably eight of New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, England, Wales, Ireland, Scotland and France um, playing against like other nations who are lower down in the rankings than them, such as Georgia, the Pacific Islanders. So that would be Tonga, Samoa, and Fiji. Um, people like Namibia and stuff as well. And really helping expand and develop the game in that sense and making sure not only that they play them, but they play them in the, in the host country. Because it was something like Samoa have only played New Zealand once in Samoa, despite providing so many players to like the historical all-black sides. Um, so there needs to be greater recognition that 
okay, and some of the stadiums and facilities aren't up to scratch yet, but that's for World Rugby to support them to be able to have that infrastructure so that they can host these big games and build the kind of support and the, everything around the game in these smaller countries, which will only drive up the standards and therefore will mean that we get better players playing for their host nations. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's a really good rule, basically. Intentionally, sorry, intention-wise, I think it's a really great rule Making it five years is going to make it much more difficult to exploit. Um, but we need to have some safeguards in place to make sure that everything is kind of all right, that nobody's being exploited, that everyone's being taken care of. Because I don't want to see like scouts from certain rugby federations and unions going over to these like smaller countries and effectively cherry-picking the best talent when they're really young and then bringing them through and getting them to play for their like second team so um, for some cases that'd be the under 20s for a lot of countries and therefore they're eligible to play for any other side going forward so they effectively drive out the competition from the smaller nations by just taking their players and capping them at under 20s or something like that i don't want to see that that we need to have more of an even playing field for these nations so that they can come through and strengthen and develop and not have project players and a whole manner of things like that as well and we need specific people to be held to account on this um because we don't want people to effectively be cherry-picked come over and then have nothing that should be shown for it and just be effectively used up and spat out the system that just wouldn't be right but um you know augustine pishot has done a great piece of work by getting this through so far and I'm sure he's thought of this. He's a very intelligent person. And I'm sure he's got really, you know, good, intelligent, well-meaning people behind him who are helping to drive this and move it forwards as well. So, that, so you know, great hopes for that. And we'll see how that develops over the upcoming years. But, um, okay, now on to the Rugby World Cup 2019 in Japan. The draw happened this week just gone. Uh, so we have four pools consisting of five teams. And effectively how it works is that drawn out of a hat is one team from each different band. So there's five bands. You have band one, which consisted of New Zealand, England, Australia, and Ireland. Um, so this is effectively the banding you are in is determined by your world ranking position. So those are the top four teams in the world at the minute. Band two consisted of Scotland, France, South Africa, and Wales. So positions five to eight. Band three, Argentina, Japan, Georgia, and Italy. Um, and then band four uh, are countries from different regions, such as uh, Africa one, America's one, Europe one, Oceania one, band five, Oceania two, America's two, playoff winner and repechage winner. So um, playoff winner is there then becomes a playoff between other nations who um, are close enough to get through and whoever wins that goes through. And then the repechage is if you lost the kind of eventual winner, you play through to see if you can then go through as well. Um, so Georgia automatically qualified for this tournament as well. And it's kind of, depending on the what band you are, you are in, so band three and above, is also partly dependent on how you fared in the last World Cup. So Georgia finished third in their pool at the last World Cup, so they automatically qualify for this one. Japan as hosts automatically qualify as well. So, um, so yeah, so no real big surprises in the countries that are in the bands. Maybe somewhere around what banding teams are in is quite interesting. But I can anticipate um, that some of the sides that will be in there in terms of from band four, so the different regions could potentially be USA, could be Canada, 
could be Namibia, could be um, Samoa or Tonga or Fiji, um, and it could be Russia maybe as well, or Romania. Um, so we'll have to see how that kind of goes with the qualifying tournaments leading up into this. But, okay, enough of the kind of logistics. Let's actually get onto the, onto the pools. So pool A, so this is consisting of one team from band one, two, three, four, and five. Um, so pool A, from band one, we had Ireland. From band two, we had Scotland. From band three, we had Japan. Uh, band four, Europe one, and band five, playoff winner. So that's going to be quite interesting, actually. Japan is the host nation um, against two fairly like decent sides, so to a couple of Celtic sides who know each other really well. And that should kind of make it for int- uh, as an interesting part of the top of that group because Scotland beat Ireland in the last six nations that's just gone. Ireland traditionally have usually been on top in these sort of games. And Japan, though, we all know what happened in the last World Cup with South Africa. And actually, they played some amazing rugby. Um, the Sunwolves are doing their kind of club side in the, in the Super 15s. They're doing okay-ish, but not brilliant. But then um, Europe won, yeah. So potentially Romania, it could be, or Russia. And then playoff winner, who knows at this point. So it looks like, you know, fairly tough group for Japan. Top two go through. I'd have to say probably Ireland and Scotland from that. I can't really look past those two. So we'll have to see. It'll be interesting either way. Uh, Pool B, so New Zealand from band one. Uh, Band two, South Africa. Band three, Italy. Band four, Africa one. And band five, Repechage winner. You can't look much further beyond New Zealand, really, for this pool too. So it kind of comes down to South Africa and Italy, in my mind, for second place. And I reckon South Africa will have pulled themselves together as a union by 2019. Uh, So they'll beat Italy despite losing to them in the recent Autumn Internationals. Uh, I think that's a blip. I reckon South Africa will win this one. So um, New Zealand, South Africa to go through from that. Okay, so then Pool C, we have um, England from Band 1, France from Band 2, Argentina from Band 3, America's 1 from Band 4, Oceania 2 from Band 5. So uh, we thought England had a pool of death last time. Well, this isn't too dissimilar. It's a really tough pool when you look at it. England, France, and Argentina. So three really big names probably a higher caliber than the teams you know on average than the teams in the other bands and pools um england know france very well there's a, you know that's going to be a really really tough game it's always tight between those two sides argentina were um semi-finalists in the last rugby world cup so that will be like hugely interesting as well to see how they go they've not done so great at the minute but with england touring there we'll see how that is in the summer as well it could be quite interesting how that goes. And I anticipate America's one is, I don't know, it's, it's always tied between the US and Canada, but I reckon USA uh, will probably be in that one as well. So, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I can't help but think that, um, yeah, I'll probably go, it's hard to pre- look into the future and have this kind of crystal ball to predict it. But I sort of see England going through from that. And actually, I, I predict France going through from that. I don't see Argentina progressing uh, due to their policy of not picking players that are playing in Argentina. Some of the best players, like Juan Imhoff, are playing um, in France, so it's going to be hard for them, I reckon. But England and France to go through from that, I imagine. Um, and then Paul D, uh, so uh, Band 1, Australia, Band 2, Wales, Band 3, Georgia, Band 4, Oceania 1, and Band 5, Americas 2. Um, you know what? I think there could be some upsets in this because of Georgia. 
they have been storming it in like the second tier of European rugby. They have been absolutely bossing it for a number of years. They just produce this really hard gnarled pack who just love to scrummage and smash people all day long. They really do. And with a lot more of their players moving into top tier European rugby competitions, um, an enormous investment in Georgia actually uh, from the kind of this billionaire who just loves rugby is just pumping money into Georgian rugby like the, the hand over fist. He's just like, right, build the best training facilities, build the best stadia. They got some like 80,000 people in Tbilisi to watch their recent international. And you, you would really struggle to get that for a lot of other countries. So it'd be interesting to see how they sort of do. And, and they are really on an upward curve, Georgia, and they're the main exponents behind this. We need more competition between tier one and tier two because they want to be more competitive at World Cups and they're starting to get a talent pool out there that is really looking like they could be. Um, Australia, they're really kind of down in the doldrums and the dumps at the minute. Their club sides aren't doing so well. Hopefully some stuff will get turned around there because the world game needs an Australian side that's good. And to see them just getting pumped all the time just is not fun to watch either. Uh, Wales in that group, so could we have another upset for Wales like they did for um, Western Samoa back in the day with Georgia? Maybe, maybe not. We'll have to see. Um, but I think that's a tough group to call. Um, and also for Wales, it kind of depends if Warren Gatlin's going to be remaining there after the Lions tour that's coming up as well to 2019. If he is, I reckon Wales go through. If he isn't, then I think they're really going to kind of find it tough with Georgia through there. There's a lot of potential for upsets in that. And I don't know, sticking my neck out there. Hmm, let's go um, Australia and Georgia. Sorry, Wales. Um, I, I just feel something about Georgia's really building at the minute and that Australia will turn it around. And even if Australia aren't playing well in their club sides, when they get together as the national side, they just seem to make something work and to play really well. So, so that'll be interesting. So yeah, so I reckon then teams through to the kind of quarterfinal stage would be Ireland, Scotland, New Zealand, South Africa, England, France, and Wales, sorry, Australia, Georgia. So all the big three Southern Hemisphere sides and the Six Nations sides, apart from Wales, who'd be replaced by Georgia again. But, you know, this sounds like, oh, this happens every time. But honestly, the global game is starting to become more competitive now. So I think it would be really interesting to see how it goes in 2019 and then further on as well. So, yeah, a lot of stuff that has kind of happened in there. If you completely disagree with me, though, I'd love to hear from you. And, um, you know, everyone's entitled to an opinion. So I think that would be quite interesting anyway. Um, other things that have sort of happened have been England have sort of named a training squad whilst their sort of top players are away for the playoffs in their league competitions. Um, and 26 have been selected for the Barbarians game that's coming up. So I'll quickly run through the forwards and the backs in this. Uh, and this game against the Barbarians has taken place on the 28th of May. Um, he's selected... Yeah, let me just run through the squad then. So in the forwards, we have 14 forwards. We have Josh Beaumont of Sale Sharks, Rob Buchanan of Harlequins, Will Collier of Harlequins, Ben Curry and Tom Curry of Sale Sharks, Tom Ellison, Charlie Yules of Bath Rugby, Jamal Ford Robinson of Bristol, who's going to Northampton next year, uh, Ross Harrison of Sale Sharks, Chris Robshaw of Harlequins, Nick Schoenert and Jack Singleton of Worcester Warriors, along with Will Spencer of Worcester Warriors, 
and Mark Wilson of Newcastle. I'm really pleased Mark Wilson has been selected in there. It's great to see some representation for the Falcons in there, and he is, in my mind, a really good player. Um, in the backs, there's 12 backs. We have Mike Brown and Danny Kerr of Harlequins, George Ford of Bath Rugby, uh, Mike Haley of Sale Sharks, Willie Heinz of Gloucester, Sam James of Sale Sharks, Joe Marchant of Harlequins, Johnny May of Gloucester, Ryan Mills of Worcester Warriors, Denny Solomon of Sale Sharks, Jason Woodward of Bristol Rugby, and Marlene Yard of Harlequins. So a couple of extra names in there that haven't really been involved before, and particularly for the forwards, even named in the recent kind of squad to Argentina, players that haven't been involved in that, they are Jamal Ford-Robinson, um, Nick Schoenert, Jack Singleton, and Mark Wilson. So Jack Singleton was an ex-under-20s uh, hooker, who actually I think was only playing for the under-20s last year, so he's still a young guy. He's coming through really well. And Nick Schoenert has probably been one of the most underrated props in the Aviva Premiership. He's been holding up that Worcester pack for a number of years and is actually quite destructive when they start to get going and things. So it's interesting to see them selected. Um, Jamal Ford-Robinson only a few years ago was playing like lower league rugby for Cambridge before moving to Bristol and has really sort of come like much improved, much, much improved. So it's really great to see him in there as well. Um, and then in the backs, we have players like Willie Heinz. So English grandparent, New Zealand born, scrum half for Gloucester. Seems to be doing pretty well there actually. Um, we'll be getting a lot more game time next year with Grade Laglaw not being there anymore. Um, it'd be interesting. I don't really see him breaking in particularly based on the number of scrum halves that are sort of ahead of him uh, and who are away with other things. Um, but yeah, Ryan Mills from Worcester is in there, which should be interesting. I think I've talked about it before, but I see a direct competition between Mike Haley and Jason Woodward for the potential fill-in role uh, replacement for Mike Brown of Harlequins. Although Woodward can also play on the wing, which is really quite interesting. So it could be competition between him and Solomona for those sort of roles and Marlon Yard as well. Um, and great to see Josh Beaumont back for Sale Sharks. So I think, um, you know, as a Sale Sharks fan, I'm pleased with uh, having seven players selected for this. Ross Harrison's been doing really well. Young lad, nearly 150 games for sale already in the Premiership. So he's pretty experienced considering his age. But um, it'd be interesting to see, and the Barbars have selected a pretty big power-based pack, more likely than anything else, um, and a really big sort of back line at the same time. And they're well worth value to go and watch the Barbarians. They tend to fling it about. They have a good time. England should win this realistically, but the experience is probably going to be with the players from the Barbarians. So it'd be interesting to see, do you, how do you go? More cohesion from England who will have been together longer, versus the Barbarians and their greater experience who sort of got together the week before the game. Um, it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, it's all good. And hopefully some of these players will stick their hand up and come round uh, the Autumn Internationals uh, this year. There might be some really sort of left-field selections based on something that Eddie Jones might have seen within this. So there we go. We've covered a lot of things in this podcast. We've covered... Uh, the Champions Cup's uh, final between Saracens and Claremont. Briefly talked about Gloucester Stade Francais in the Challenge Cup. We've talked about the World Cup residency, sorry, the World Cup pool groups, World Rugby's residency change initiative, and also now the English squad selected to take on the Barbarians. Um, if you're enjoying the podcast, like I said previously, subscribe to the podcast in the various listening formats. Uh, follow on social media, so at Jeremy on Twitter 
and facebook.com slash views from the lineout. In addition, there's my separate blog and website, jeremyspringall.wordpress.com. I'd love to hear from you, comments, ratings, subscribing in whatever format you want to. Let's, uh, let me hear from you what you think. Um, and anyway, until then, enjoy uh, the build-up for the playoff kind of competitions for um, the, f- the top four. So that is uh, Wasps versus Leicester and Exeter versus Saracens that's coming up in the following week. Um, it should be a fantastic couple of games. And also, we're probably going to start to see a bit more about the promotion relegation as Yorkshire Carnegie are taking on London Irish as well. So great, that's it for me for this week. I hope you enjoy the pod and speak to you soon.